Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message from Real Life Community, where we talk about connecting with God and others, growing in Christ-likeness, and sharing God's life with the world. My name is Sarah Comer, and I serve each week as Connections Pastor, making sure that you know that there is a God and a community that loves you and wants to go through the seasons of life with you. You can find us at reallifecommunity.org, and we would love to meet you on Facebook or Instagram. Until then, we hope this message meets you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the Father's love is for you. Jamie said after service to take a minute and... Um say hello because there are some faces that maybe you haven't seen and maybe you don't know in this room. Um, And so actually, I'm going to do something that we don't do very often. I'm going to say, stand up right now. Um, Rylan is going to take the camera and spin so that those that are watching online can actually see faces that they don't get to see every Sunday. And I want you to say hello. Give an elbow. Just say hi if you don't want to touch anything. But just say hello. We need to say hi to each other this morning. We need to see each other and recognize that we're here. Go ahead, do it right now. You have my permission. Say hi. I know, this is weird. We don't do this in COVID, but we're doing it. Go ahead and walk in front of the camera and wave at it if you haven't. people that are excited to see each other. It's like family reunion coming back together. I know some of you are like skin is crawling because we're saying hello and we haven't done that in a long time, but I think it's important and I think it's necessary and so that's what we did today. This morning, if you'll open to Mark chapter 2 verses 18 through 20 or it's going to be right here on the screen. We are starting a series that is leading us up to Easter. This season of Lent has begun. I know we didn't have our Ash Wednesday service to like kick things off, and it's going to be a little weird. We're kicking things off a week late, sort of, but I, yeah, we'll get there. But so today we're going to, um, we're talking about the, the fast and the feast, um, and what, what, does, what does it mean? What's it all about? Mark 2, 18 says, Now John's disciples... And the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so as long as they have him with them. 
but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. Short, sweet, we're going to break that down in just a minute. Um, when Jeremy and I moved to a new town, over the different, you know, we've, this is our fourth church in the last 21 years, um, as we move to a new town, one of the things that we love to do is, is go around to different places and say, is there a Nazarene church in town? And it, you hear all kinds of answers from people, right? And then we like to say sometimes, what do you know about that church on East Main Street or on the corner of Lincoln and Pickard or over outside of town or the different locations that we've been? What do you know about that church? Um, and we love to hear the answers that people have. So one of the churches that we went to, um, the, actually it was our last church, we asked people, what do you know about that cor- church on the corner of Lincoln and Pickard? Because the first question was, is there a Nazarene church in town? And most people were like, I don't know. And so then we were like, okay, well, what, what about that church on the corner of Lincoln and Pickard? What do you know about them? And this is what we heard. Well, they're the church that doesn't drink, and they're the church that doesn't dance, and they're the church that doesn't wear wedding rings, and they're the church that doesn't, that doesn't. We heard one, they're the church that does. You want to know what it was? Okay, it hadn't happened for like 40 years, but they were the church that has a singing Christmas tree. Wow, the things that we were known for. So we, I remember we went home after that, um, those days, and we sat down and we were like, what have we done? Like, huh. We wanted to be known for the things that we did do, not for the list of things that we didn't do. I had one lady tell me, we sat down with her, and as she began to tell us some history about the church, she looked at me and she said, it's a good thing you weren't here a few years ago. We'd have fired you. And I was like, what? She's like, you have too much jewelry on. And I was like, oh, like my heart broke. Like, the, ugh, just, ugh, that's what I felt. We realize that people have bad experiences at churches, Right? We recognize that no matter what a church can do, sometimes people will not love a church. We recognize that people have, have things happen to them in a church that flavor them against the church for a long time. Um, we also realize that, um, that the church in general, not just the churches that we've served at, don't always do a good job of explaining why we do the things that we do. I have grown up with people, I mean, I've, over the years I've ministered to people who said they've grown up in the church and they didn't get it. Like we would say something, something I, I remember one girl, I said something about um, asking Christ into your heart to, to rule and reign in your life, and she was like, no one's ever told me I'm supposed to do that. I'm like, wait, weren't you a leader in your church? And she's like, yeah. No, sometimes I get that we just don't, it doesn't click with us until a certain point in life. But sometimes I feel like we don't do a good job of explaining why do we do the things that we do? Why do we celebrate the church calendar? Why do we tell people to wait till marriage? Why is it important to pray? Why read the Bible? Why be discipled? Why give something up for Lent? What is Lent all about? It wasn't until college. I'm, I'm admitting my own um, naivety growing up. I didn't understand what Lent was until college, and it was a very embarrassing way to learn what Lent was. Told a lady she had something smeared on her forehead, she might want to wipe it off on Ash Wednesday. (laughs) Y'all, I was embarrassed really bad. I got, um, Jeremy's like, you didn't tell her. I'm like, yeah, I did. And then when I asked me later who it was, and it's even worse. Okay, so it was bad. It was bad, y'all, and I just didn't get it. And so 
I just, I know that um, we don't always get things. And so, and then prior to that, I guess I just understood it to be a Catholic practice. What I knew about it was it was Catholic. I was christened in the Catholic Church. My dad grew up Catholic. So I have a very minute knowledge of the Catholic Church. Christened in the Catholic Church, grew up in the Assemblies of God, and now I'm a Nazarene pastor. Wow. So I didn't understand it. Um, churches in the holiness tradition, just so you know, they pride themselves on their ability to sacrifice. They've sacrificed things like alcohol and dancing and drinking. Sound familiar? The things that our church wasn't known for in, or that we were known for in Michigan. Giving up these things made sense when we take time to understand why. Most of them make sense. Some of them don't. Some of them are rules that we added along the way. But as you... Um, as you research, why did we do these things? The sacrifices of the church started out of an immense desire for holiness. Um, I remember a few years ago in one of my classes, I was reading a book, and it was talking about the history of the Church of the Nazarene. And it was talking about why did we start doing the things that we did? Why did we choose not to dance? Do you all know? No. We chose not to dance because for the... At the time that the church started, most of the dancing that took place took place in brothels. And that obviously wasn't a place that they wanted to promote all of their church people going to church or going to dance. So they said, we're not dancing. And then drinking. They chose not to drink. Um, and the, another place that dancing took place was in the homes of the wealthiest of society. And because they felt like they weren't supporting the poor, which was the basis of our church, right? Reaching the lost and the poor and the widows and the down and out. Those who were addicted to alcohol and drugs. Get it? We gave up these things because we didn't want to hinder those that we were trying to reach. When you look at why, sometimes things make more sense. The decision not to dance, like I said, started out um, not because dancing itself was bad, but because of where it took place. Choosing not to dance was a, a way to sacrifice something out of, out of a desire to be more holy. However, like we read about the disciples um, throughout the, the Gospels, the reasoning behind these decisions can be replaced by harsh judgment and legalism in the hearts of people. This is true of church, church, our groups outside of the church as well. In fact, um, I think of a sacrifice. Holler out if you know this. What do you think is one of the biggest sacrifices outside of the church in society today? What is something people sacrifice? Food. Dieting. It is a almost a command and an expectation of our culture and our society today that we will diet, that you will give something up to look this way, that you will add something to buff up and look this way, that you will give this food group up in order to fit into this thing. They're sacrificing just like we are. But what's the motivation behind the sacrifice? Now, I'll say this. Losing weight to become healthy, that's good, right? My dad losing 100 pounds gave us two more years with my dad. My dad was not losing weight um, to look like he did in his 20s in the military. That wasn't the motivation behind it. It literally was for him to breathe to live a little bit longer. What is the motivation behind it? 
Um, this has been an issue for humans for a long time. Sin has a way of twisting good things and good intent and turning them into damaging things. People have spent millions and billions of dollars on the weight loss industry trying to catch the latest fad to lose weight. People have sacrificed um, their own family in an effort to fit into society in a certain position. For the Pharisees, fasting was initially an expression of piety and self-consecration, but it turned into a badge of honor. It was a legalistic tool to judge others and to check a box. Sin had twisted their fasting into a form of earning God's favor rather than an act about the grace of God. Fasting wasn't, it's not just about what's given up. It's about the feast as well, and we're going to talk about that today. The Pharisees had lost the ability to feast because they were so focused on the practice of giving things up. Fasting is not supposed to be at the expense of the feast. It's supposed to draw us closer to the Lord during the time of sacrifice and during the time of praise. Fasting is supposed to make the feast more meaningful. So what did the Pharisees do? The Pharisees um, were not only following the strict interpretation of the law, they were adding to it by making it more difficult for people to follow. They prided themselves on doing things the right way and on their interpretation of what was right. They were doing more fasting than the law even commanded, which isn't in itself bad. It's not bad to fast for more than what the law was commanding, but when you expect everyone else to do what you're doing above and beyond, that's when it becomes, that's when it's messed up. Those fasting were not evil. They didn't understand what was happening in their midst. According to Matthew 5:17, Jesus came to fulfill the law. He illustrates and embodies the intent of the law. What the way the Pharisees understood the law and the way Jesus was understanding the law were different. He is under, Jesus was under criticism all throughout the book of Mark. Every time he turned around, somebody is accusing him of doing something he shouldn't do, especially on the Sabbath. But he's not breaking the law. He's getting back to the heart of what the law was. The law was about love and grace and connecting with God in a meaningful way. The law was about love of God and love of others. Love was supposed to be at the heart of the law, but it had been misinterpreted and twisted into legalism. And when, when that happens, love is forgotten, and all that remains is the attitude of legalism. In our passage, the Pharisees and John's disciples were so busy trying to work out the law that they missed the presence of the Messiah in their midst. And Jesus' disciples, they weren't fasting yet because the bridegroom was with them and they were still feasting their time of fasting would come. The Pharisees and John's disciples, they had an expectation of who was going to come. They expected this someone to come um, and be a political leader and come in and change the, the political culture. Anyone pray for that? Um, that's what they were expecting. That's who they thought the Messiah was going to be. They thought that he was going to come in grandeur. They thought he was going to come and just lay the smack down and rule and, and reign over the people. Here is the Messiah in their presence, and because they're expecting something else, they didn't even see that he was right there in front of them. 
It's easy for us to villainize the Pharisees and go, Psh, they were messed up, they didn't have a clue. But they were trying to seek God the best that they knew how. It's just that things were getting twisted. And they were forgetting the intent of the law, and that was love. The Pharisees' issue was not on the original intent, their desire to honor God. Their issue was losing sight of it. The focus was on who was right rather than on love and grace. It was on working harder as the work were as if it were a competition to be won instead of the state of their relationship with God. We are supposed to be a people of love, not law. We, like the Pharisees, have, um, we believe sometimes that our actions will make us holy. We can do this to be this. This misguided behavior views us, um, it causes us to view others wrong and look at them as though they're someone to be fixed rather than a child of God created in his image. It puts impossible standards on everyone. We start to believe the lie that we can't have a relationship with God unless and until we have everything perfect. It breaks my heart to hear people say, I cannot have a relationship with the Lord because of this or because I'm not this. I can't walk into the church because I haven't been in this long. I can't be this because of this. And God says, I don't care. I love you for who you are. I created you in my image. You are good. We don't always communicate that very well as a church to people. Holiness is rooted in love, not in our effort. While love and holiness should and will lead us to action, it's not the type of action that we must do in order to earn something. It's the type of action that's motivated by our relationship to God, not by shame, not by guilt, or not by fear. Holiness, the Holy Spirit, brings about holiness in the lives of people. I don't know if you've ever heard the term provenient grace. Provenient grace draws people to the heart of God. It's that, it's that presence. I love, to, I love to have conversations with people when they first um, come to the Lord and they first get saved and, and they say, man, I just felt like something was drawing me. Something was, I knew something was missing and I just, I, I, they, something was working in them and they couldn't put their finger on it. That's that provenient grace before they even acknowledge Christ. And next comes saving grace, and it brings people into relationship with God. That's that moment where you say, God, I am a sinner, and I'm broken, and I'm failed without you. And that's God's saving grace that says, I got you. Let's do this together. And then there's sanctifying grace that transforms people into a holy people who reflect God. It's, it's not where you come to one moment, and you get saved, and it's all fixed, and you've got it all together. It's a continual work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, our whole life. When we focus on our effort, we miss out on the reality that God is at work in the world already, often in ways that we don't expect. The kingdom is here, but it's not yet completed. Jesus initiated the new kingdom, and we bring the kingdom on earth when we act in love, do what is just live lives of humility and grace, and exhibit righteousness.
we learn from the Pharisees, and we temper our fasting with feasting. In the midst of Lent, a time that we set aside to fast something, we don't fast out of guilt or legalism, but out of a desire to be formed and shaped more deeply like Christ. Our desire should cause us to reflect more deeply on how God loves us and on our love for God. Our fasting should spur us on to act in love toward those around us. Our fasting should be a way that we see the kingdom of God lived out in the world around us. And I don't know if you know this, but every Sunday in Lent is a feasting day. It's the day where you set aside the fast and you feast. Feasting is as much a part of the Lenten practice as fasting. Fasting reminds us that the bridegroom has come and that Christ has left the Holy Spirit to be present with us. Feasting reminds us that God will come again to restore all things. The feast and the fast remind us that God longs to redeem us and that all things are to be made holy. Feasting is a spiritual discipline as well. We must learn to celebrate well, to receive and praise the goodness of God in spite of the darkness that we may be currently experiencing. How many of you have ever found it hard to feast, to celebrate, to praise in the midst of some just lousy circumstances in your life? How does practicing feasting remind us of the world of hope and love? Even in the midst of our sacrifice, the feast is often an, ex it's an expression of God's goodness in spite of what's happening in our life. So this morning, we're going to change it up again. I want you to shout out. What can you feast? What can you praise God for this morning in spite of the circumstance that you may be experiencing right now in your life? Shout it out. Hope for tomorrow. Come on, y'all. To be here in person. Family. To be healthy. His will being revealed. His rescuing power. For community. For music. For real life. A place where sometimes life is ugly, but it's real. And I'll take that over fake any day. Jesus' disciples didn't fast because Jesus was with them. In the same way, we feast because of the hope that we have and the confidence that Christ has come. You know, we get, to, we get to do this whole Lenten practice on the hindsight of knowing that he rose on the third day. We get the experience of Easter knowing what's coming on Sunday. We feast because of the hope of Christ's resurrection. We feast because of the hope of Christ's return. We fast because the kingdom of God has not fully been realized yet. We fast to draw closer to Christ while we wait his return. We fast to create space to hear God more clearly. My prayer is this, that when you choose to fast something during this Lenten season, 
that it's not just giving something up just to say you did it, but it's giving something up to legitimately hear the voice of God in place of that thing in your life that you're giving up in a way that maybe it was clouded out before. We fast to make room for the unusual ways that God often works in the world. We fast out of an understanding to commune with God who loves us so much. We fast for a world longing for the redemption of all things. Giving something up for Lent is not just something that we do on the checklist of the church during the season of Easter. It's not just something that we do good to do to feel good. It's something that we do to grow closer to God. Really, none of what we do in Lent is going to be worth much of anything if we're not growing closer to God and loving on those that are around us. My prayer is that we would not be so busy doing the practice of Lent that we miss what Christ wants to do in our lives during that time. I've sat around with pastors before and we've had conversations about how even we as pastors can fall into the trap of being so busy doing ministry and pastoring our people that we miss the voice of God because we're so busy doing the work. I don't ever want to be that person. Sometimes I try to avoid the quiet because I don't want to hear what he has to say. Don't do that. He'll find his way into your heart and into your mind and he'll speak. Find a way to quiet yourself and let him speak. Does he want to speak into your marriages? Then shut your mouth and listen. Does he want to speak into your friendships? Yes. Then be quiet and wait. Does he want to speak into us as parents? Lord knows yes. Get on your knees. He's ready. He's waiting. He just want, he's waiting for you to say, I'm going to set time aside for you. He's not going to force himself on you. But man, does he want to do something in your life, in your family, in your marriage, in this church. I know that this has been a season of transition like none other. Trust me, we get it. God's not done. God's not done, church. God's not done in your life. He's not done in your homes, and he is not done here. By your heads. Lord Jesus, this morning as we talk about sacrificing and giving something up for Lent and, and this practice that the church has long participated in fasting, God, I pray that it would not just be something that we do because it's on a checklist or because it's the right thing to do, but God, that we would choose to do it in an effort to grow closer to you. That we would choose to do it because we recognize that we need more of you and less of whatever it is that we're fasting. May we not just give something up and go on about our day, but may we give something up and maybe put something in its place that will push us closer to you. May we find ourselves on our knees and in the word in a way that we never have before. May we recognize that if there is an area in our life that we're struggling, your word has hope and promise and wisdom to guide us in that. Lord Jesus, speak to us. What are the things that maybe some of us haven't even started fasting yet? What are the things that you want us to sacrifice so that we can grow closer to you? 
Who do we need to love on better around us? Who are we not loving on well at all? Where do we need to plug in so that we can grow? And what is it that you're trying to say to us that we're too busy to listen? Speak to our hearts this morning. In your name. Amen. Stand with me this morning. This week as you go, my hope and my prayer is that as you fast, that you will remember the importance of the feast. That you will be thankful, that you will share your thankfulness, that you will love on those around you, and that you will grow closer to Christ like maybe you never have before. And may you be blessed as you're a blessing to those around you. Thank you for joining us today. We would love for you to join us in person. Our address is 2022 East Main Street in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. If you would like to make a donation to keep our podcast ministry going, you can do so online at reallifecommunity.org slash give. Thanks again for listening.